0: You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional audio resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Amen. Hey, guys, y'all can have a seat. I uh, would love for you to uh, turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 2. Uh, and while you're doing that, I'll tell you a little story, start out a little story about me. Um, so, my mom told me, so I, I uh, have always been a question asker, uh, and it's uh, sometimes to a fault, but I kind of have a motor mind. And, um, My favorite book my mom told me as a kid was Curious George, uh, and I just asked a lot of questions. And so I was actually lamenting, uh, that's probably too strong a word, but I was um, telling my dad about one of my kids, and I'm not gonna tell you which kid it is, that just constantly asked questions, and just how that kinda got tiring. Um, And my dad stopped me, and he said, hey Matt, he said, nobody in the history of the world was more exhausting than you. Like, he's like, He's like, I seriously, Matt, there were a couple times I had to like pull over the car and just say, Matthew, can we chill out with the questions, right? Um, but that has perhaps helped me a little bit as a pastor because I'm always thinking and hopefully thinking about good things. Uh, and so I was actually tasked to speak, to preach on joy, a biblical concept of joy. And so my mind was going uh, and my wife and I were in New York several weeks ago and I began to think about this sermon and we were just walking um, the streets of New York and I saw, I think it was outside a coffee shop and there was a sign outside and the sign said this. I took a picture of it to show you. It said this. Um, It says that no amount, is it up? There we go, there it is. It says that no amount of self-improvement can make up for any lack of self-acceptance. And I went, hmm, okay, that's interesting. That's what I wanna talk about with joy. Um, And partly because I was moved by the humanity of this statement, um, namely that... I can kind of understand where there's this person is. like I think um, that all of us have, have felt that like in our lives that the pursuit of self improvement is rotten if we're not rooted in who and, and joy in who we are in our identity um, and I think it's probably something that we've all felt in our inevitable pursuit of joy and even as a Christian we um, don't necessarily agree with this statement but there is some overlap uh, perhaps one uh, way to say that is that as Christians we. Understand that it's dark in here and what I try to do out there can't make up for what's in here. If you want to get fancy theologically, you would say you have to be justified before you're sanctified. But I think all of us in our own battle looking for the joy of acceptance can resonate even if we disagree with this statement or perhaps you agree with the statement. You would say that no amount of self-improvement can make up for any lack of self-acceptance. And I would just say to you, And to myself, that fortunately the Bible has a lot to say to us about joy. And so I would love for us to go to one of its more famous passages on joy. So Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 8 through 14. Luke chapter 2, 8 through 14. I'm going to read all of it, and then I want to break it down. It says this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the angel, I'm sorry, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And an angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that'll be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord." And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a great, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So let's kind of break this passage down verse by verse, verse eight. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were filled with great fear. If you'll notice something there, it's the lowly and humble that receive this news first. Okay, so Christianity doesn't have to politic to the proud. Christianity doesn't need a huge major announcement. It doesn't need primetime announcements. Airtime, it doesn't need that. Um, it is per, uh, Christianity by the Holy Spirit is perfectly okay uh, starting and living and even thriving in the margins. And I think we see that today that Christianity starts, lives, and even thrives in the margins. But Luke is, uh, and I love the King James version sometimes because what, the, all, what Luke's trying to do here is show you that the angels really are terrified. Um, so you just think about they're just lowly shepherds and they're out and when it's night it's night and it's pitch black and so I don't know if you've ever been out to the country maybe some of y'all have not right but if you drive about an hour and a half that way to East Texas and you turn off all the lights it's gonna be super dark right and so it's super dark and Luke wants you to know that it got really really bright really fast and the King James Version says they were sore afraid and I love that we don't use language like that any more. And then the angel has something to say, and we get into it, verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that'll be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ Jesus the Lord, and this will be a sign for you You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Okay, so this angel, just by way of reminder, uh, if you've seen Stranger Things, you know that Eleven is more transcendent, right? She can interact in two different worlds. Remember, an angel is that way as well. An angel, if we are to believe the Bible is true, which we do believe the Bible is true, an angel is someone who has seen the glory of God face to face and then can also live and interact real time in our space. And so it's those angels who have seen the face of God that are communicating this. And they're communicating, which I would love to hear from them, being terrified, sore afraid fear not, okay? Calm down. Everything's okay. It's the first thing they have to say. And then beyond that, here's what they say I have really great news for you that will bring great joy. And really, and and I think we need to actually get into the verbiage here, because what's happening is they're saying that something has already happened in history that's going to make your heart swell, okay? This is news. I'm delivering a message to you. This is delivered to you. This is not conditioned by you. You didn't think this up. I'm not asking you to collaborate. I'm asking you to listen. I'm asking for you to receive, I need to tell you something that's already happened, and it's yours to respond to, but it's not yours to collaborate because it's already happened. The news is already out. And then verse 11 is a really pregnant sentence. Um, It's the only time in the scriptures that we're going to see Savior, Christ, and Lord all together at the same time. So what the angels are saying, in saying Savior, Christ, and Lord is really important. They're saying, one, the Savior is here. We'll talk about this more in a minute, but what he's saying is that your deliverer from your very real oppression, your 700 year oppression, is here. But he's not just a Savior, he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the long awaited hero, he's the hero from the ancient stories. So the Savior's here, the hero, the Christ is here. And then the Lord is here. The good king is here. The one who you will want to submit to. The one who you should submit to. The king is here. The savior, the Messiah, and the Lord is here. In verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. You'll find this little human being in a food trough in Bethlehem. And you'll be able to hold him. His two eyes will meet your two eyes. And then verses 13 and 14, joy culminates in a song. And um, Charles Wesley was the one that taught us that there's no greater expression of joy than a song. That's really where joy might find its purest expression. And so this is our Christmas story as uh, Linus reads it to us every year. I couldn't read it in his voice, but... um, This is our Christmas story. And so let me give you, excuse me, a working definition of joy, okay? I tried to find the author here, but it was all over the internet, so somebody said it. This isn't me. If it's you, just let me know, and I'll give you credit for it. So, uh, But it says this. It says, Joy uh, is an emotion that is acquired by the anticipation, acquisition, or even the expectation of something great or wonderful. And yet in our... In our culture, there is a big difference. I'm sorry, there is a big question, big confusion around happiness and joy. So, my best friend is here in the audience today. I won't point him out that he works in Fort Worth and has a friend uh, who is not a Christian. And this friend really kind of pushed on him hard and said, You're like differentiating happiness and joy is dumb. Look them up, they're the same thing they're the exact same thing. Like you're just using a synonym. I'm fine with a synonym, but differentiating is just not not faithful to uh, understanding words. And um, I'm sympathetic to what he's saying because I think that um, unless you kind of dig down deep into what's going on here, it's really easy to confuse the two. The human heart has a hard time differentiating joy and happiness and culture loves to confuse the two and we love to take the bait especially right now during Christmas where sentimentality is at its highest point okay so now is the time where commercially we are trying to manufacture joy so it's time to buy the ring now right like it wasn't time the other 11 months it's time to go to Zales now and buy the ring because the commercial says to do that Um, I would seek biblical wisdom before you do that but that's just my thought on that. So um, it's time you're frustrated with your boss. It's time to quit your job, change all your plans, catch the red eye, go home, be with your family. It's not just time for you to buy one car, Alexis with a bow. It's time for y'all to buy cars for each other. And then when you don't like them, just trade the cars for the ones you bought, right? And um, I'm not clowning on happiness, okay? Happiness is a really good thing. I personally experience happiness every time I go to Love Field, okay? So Love Field, there's this glorious trifecta, um, and I think you know what I'm talking about. You walk in, and I I just, the genius that thought of this, okay, so there's a Whataburger, and then a Campisi's, and then a Chick-fil-A, all right next to each other in Love Field. I mean, could they have thought of anything better than that? Some like you who are giggling love it. You who and you guys need to fly out of Love Field, fly Southwest Airlines. I mean seriously, like I mean, and I had a friend the other day that was like, uh, "Hey, you should even try the tacos at Dickies across." And I'm like, I don't even care about that, right? Because you have this beautiful, like I, every time I go into Love, my my heart. I mean, they they couldn't have picked three better restaurants. Happiness is a great thing. I I love happiness, um, but happiness is an inch deep and a mile wide if it's not predicated on something more substantial. Um, And what that means is that good memories and good drink and good food and good laughs are hardly eternal unless they find their way back to what the angels are talking about because joy is more substantial. And you go, well, what makes the good news of great joy so compelling? And I would just try to answer that three ways. One, that it's rooted in prophecy, one that it's rooted in proximity, and one that it's rooted in a person. So let me explain what I mean by that prophecy. Okay, so you have Israel, and then you have Jesus' time, and you have a 700-year period between that. 700 really hard years, okay? So just to put that in context, that would be like going back to the Middle Ages. And so when you read Israel, I'm sorry, when you read Isaiah, it doesn't read like our Instagram feeds, okay? Not everything is self-produced and trending on the, this is the cool thing that I'm experiencing side. Okay, the Bible has a lot more humanity than our self production. And so when you read Isaiah what you find is the beginning of what will be 700 years of brokenness, pain and confusion as God's people are exiled and oppressed and at the beginning of their oppression this is 700 years before Jesus is on the scene. You hear scripture like Isaiah 9:2 on the screen behind me that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light and that those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. Do you see the the juxtaposition of really hard days with something to look forward to? It keeps going, and this is the verse that I've keyed in on all week because it's just so real, and I think we're looking for real stuff. In 2019, Isaiah 51, verse three. Again, see this. For the Lord comforts Zion, He comforts all of her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord, and joy and gladness will be found in her and thanksgiving in the voice of a song. But do you see what's happening there? He's calling her places wasted. He's calling it a wilderness. God is acknowledging that his people for 700 years will live in a place that is described as wasted and a wilderness. Things are gonna be really, really hard. And then Agosa read it better than I could, but you start to see this hope even in the hard days. Isaiah 51:11: "And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away, but not yet. Not any time soon. 700, really, really. Hard years for them. But I think here's the application for Israel. Here's the application for us, okay? God knows, God sees, and God cares. God knows, God sees, and God cares. And He doesn't just see their wasted weariness, He sees ours, He sees yours. And if you live long enough, here's what you know about most people, okay? Most people are either coming out of hard days, in hard days, or hard days are closer and around the corner than they even realize. So what I'm telling you is that if this doesn't land on you yet, there's a strong probability that it's going to land on you at some point in your life. And that what God's doing by talking about wastedness, wasted, weary places, is not this designation of a kind of thing that you're trying to avoid at all cost like the world is, but he's actually preparing you for hardship in the midst of the lives that we live together. And so I key in on this, and what I see is that God sees our longing for joy in the darkest days and he makes a promise to Israel and he makes the same promise to us that joy is on the way. But this promise isn't just rooted in prophecy, okay? Harry Harry Potter has prophecy. That doesn't make Harry Potter real. Don't get mad at me for saying that, okay? Harry Potter has prophecy. That doesn't make Harry Potter real. Prophecy and history touch, and that's important to differentiate that, and that's why we see in Micah 5, so it builds. Micah is a prophet. He's preaching at the same time as Isaiah, and he says this, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Do Do you see what's happening here? We're beyond myth. We're on our soil now. Bethlehem is a place that you can visit today. I don't know how easy it is to get there. Shay can let you know he's the Israel guy, okay? But Bethlehem is a place that you can visit today, and it's hardly disputed in history that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was born in Bethlehem. And here's Micah, 700 years before his birth, giving us a prophecy that's fulfilled in Christ. And then if you want even a little bit more history, Luke says in the beginning of the second chapter that this is the year of Caesar Augustus, which lines up perfectly with history. Uh, outside of even thinking about Jesus, Caesar Augustus was, um, was Julius Caesar's adopted son and heir, who was the Caesar during this time. It makes Too much sense, but we're beyond myth now. We're in our soil, but it's not just prophecy. It's not just history. It's not just proximity. It's a person. And what the angels are saying is that the good news of great joy will be so real that you can touch him. You can walk to his manger and you will see him there and he will immediately be like you in his humanity. He'll immediately be like you. His two eyes will meet your two eyes. And the angels wake up these lowly shepherds and they say, this will be good news of great joy for all people. And so I'm just thinking about how this lands on anyone who might be more inclined to believe that sign that I saw over this news that the angels heard. And I'm thinking about like, how does this joy affect us? How does this, how does this become real? Like, how can it possibly become real? And, and so I'm thinking about this statement that no amount of self-improvement can make up for any lack of self-acceptance. And if that's something that you hold to in your heart, if the, my friend, not my friend, I didn't get to meet him, but I hope to be on my friend, if, I, if he was right here, if I could have a conversation with that person, here's what I would say to them, Okay. The challenge of self-acceptance is this. The challenge of self-acceptance is this. It's based on your ability to accept yourself, which still puts the onus of joy on you. And you will only feel, you will only go so far as you feel accepted. You will only go so far as you feel accepted. And listen, if you have any hunch in your mind that you are a created being, to to think about yourself as fully accepted and without fault and without error, fully accepted is actually a cosmic declaration. For you, a created being, to say that without any insight from your creator is a really risky move. I think you I mean I think to be intellectually honest you actually have to go far outside the notion of you being a created being to fully accept yourself. And I think our problem is that we cannot make ourselves feel totally accepted. We are too finite, we are too fragile, we are too fickle. We need God acceptance. We don't need self-acceptance. We need God acceptance. In self-acceptance, what you're gonna hear from the world is that you look inside of you to find joy. And Christianity is completely different than that. Christianity says joy comes not from looking inside, but outside of you. Christianity says joy is not in here. It says it's out here. In this child, the first glimpse of God acceptance is this little child that joy came looking for you. Joy knocked on your door. The angels declared news. This is news. This is something that already happened. It wasn't conditioned on you. It didn't need your insight. It didn't need you to sign off on this. This is news delivered to you to respond to. And what the angels are saying is uh, through this message, this proclamation, is God says that I see you and I know all that you've been through and I've still come to trade my life for yours. So this little baby that you'll see with your two eyes, he will be like you in his humanity. He will be unlike you in his perfection. And what you get is an invitation to watch his life, watch him live perfectly, and lay his life down as a substitute and a sacrifice for you. That's the invitation to God acceptance. And it starts in the manger. And you go, well, how do I know that he loves me? Like, how can I legitimately know that? I would just say, how? Like, How could he possibly come closer to us? He became a person. How could he possibly make himself more clear to us, more like us? He came as a person, he came like us. And what happens is when this story sinks down deep, it becomes the basis for joy. And here's why. Because at the end of the day, everything is ultimately gonna be okay. And here's why. Because God is with me now and forever. I'm gonna have really high highs. I'm gonna have really low lows. And the constant is this. He is with me. And so what happens is that story starts to take over and what you begin to see more than anything else is this delight in God because of his sheer beauty and worth. And you go, okay, well, what do you do with this joy? Well, I think one thing you have to do is you have to remind yourself constantly of the difference between joy and happiness, okay? Because happiness without joy is the great forgery of Christmas, It really is. Happiness without joy is the great forgery of Christmas. Happiness comes to numb the pain, but it is a cheap substitute. Happiness is great, but it cannot be ultimate. It will not fulfill you if it's not tied to joy. And so your joy cannot just be that you bonused big this year, although I'm really happy that you bonused big this year. And we're going to have a capital campaign that you can give to. okay? Your joy is not just that you're healthy, although I'm really glad that you're healthy. Your joy is not just that your family is gathered at Christmas. I'm really, really glad that your family is gathered at Christmas. Your joy is this. God has come to visit his people amidst our waste and our wilderness, and because of Jesus, everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay because of Jesus. I experience him him in my blessings, but even more so in my sorrow. So we remind ourselves of the difference between joy and happiness, but I think we also have to see joy's versatility, okay? Because here's the thing about joy. It can coexist with loneliness, grief, longings, and sorrows. It can. So you can be really sad and really joyful. That's not mutually exclusive. The only thing joy can't live with is despair, is hopelessness. You can't be joy and hopeless at the same time. But here's the great news. The baby comes to undo despair for eternity. You never have to experience it again. You never have to experience hopelessness ever again in your life. There is news so joyous in Christ Jesus that it will undo despair for anyone who receives them. And that's a true promise. It really is. So you remind yourself of the difference between happiness and joy. You see the versatility of joy. It can buoy you amidst other emotions and then you share it. Because at the end of the day, God acceptance in Jesus leads to wholeness. And the city of Dallas is fractured. And the city of Dallas is insecure. And the city of Dallas needs whole people who aren't faking it on Instagram or who are too scared to talk about their hardest things. Whole people say, the hardest days of my life are buoyed by this joy that I can never lose, and so there's something really compelling that I need to share with you. And that's the basis of our joy. Fractured cities need whole people. And amidst our past, present, and coming blessings of our lives, here's the reality, guys. God is with us. God is beautiful, and we get to be with him. We are in Christ. God accepted. And you can be too. That makes hopelessness past tense. And I hope you know that during Christmas. So let me pray for us. Lord, I uh, ask that you would uh, let this message of hope um, sneak down deeply into our hearts. This message of joy. This message that you are... Uh, In the blessings, and the blessings are wonderful, and we receive the blessings, and we ask for the blessings, but even beyond that, Lord, in the sorrows, you're there, and you meet us, and you lift up our heads, and you do that because of this child who has come for us to take our focus away from ourselves, to find joy outside of us, to find truth outside of us. And so, Lord, may that be true of this church And may our witness be true to our city. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.